Mm. That sounds bizarre to me. You know, I mean, there are other ways to go to the States than going first to South America. This is a common narrative in uh, media now. They've taken the same video footage from a couple of different reporters, and it just keeps being aired over and over and over again, especially by some of the notable uh, China experts that uh, like to say derogatory things, and they keep pushing this narrative over and over again. This reminds me of this... um this guy with a TikTok account who for I think when he was in China, he had wanted to go to the States for like years, mm. dreaming that it was, you know, heaven on earth mm. where, uh, you know, golden opportunities everywhere. And the legend is that people, you know, people who work in these like who work in uh, helping people migrate to, to, to the U.S. or the countries, they'll, they'll send out the rumors that if you, you know, wash dishes in Chinese restaurants, let's say in Chinatown for three months and you can buy a house in the States. What? Like crazy <laughs> oh things gosh. like that. I'm Seriously. going back. Goodbye, baby. I'm going to go wash dishes in Chinatown. <laughs> you know, that's that's how they sell this. Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Welcome to The Bridge. With a return to Latin American migration to the U.S., we can also see a slight decrease in Chinese migration to the U.S. I also want to talk about my own experience of migrating to China. And we have the facts and figures for uh, migration into the United States. We're going to give you the facts and figures and you decide what they mean. Uh, Welcome to the show, Bebe. Yay. Hi, Jason. (laughs) How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, Not too bad. So we're talking about migration Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. So migration and immigration. What's the difference? Migration is like people moving to different places, right? Or animals. Well, literally migration, yes, you're right. The definition of the word migration means to move, but it's also used as a, like an umbrella term for emigration and immigration. Now those sound almost identical, which is confusing. One has an E and one has an I, and one means to leave a place and one means to come to a place. And the United States, judging by the fact that the vast majority of the population is not indigenous Native Americans, is largely a place of migrants, right? Europeans, you know, people from all over the world, really, you know. So migration has always been on the radar and has always mean different things in different times. And right now, I'm not going to weigh in on which side you know, all that stuff. But there's a lot of migration returning to the United States now that, you know, the pandemic is over. So lots of people are trying to get into the United States, largely from Latin America. Here's an article by Edgar Clementine, December 24th, 2023. Thousands joined migrant caravan in Mexico ahead of Secretary of State Blinken's visit to the capital. So these huge caravans of people, sometimes once a month or so, with an estimation of between five and 10,000 in different caravans. In this particular article, it's a, a caravan of 6,000 people group up together and then merge on the border and try to get in in various places. A lot of them are very successful. Then they get jobs in the United States illegally often for lower than minimum wage. And they oftentimes return to their home countries or they send money back to their home countries. So it's kind of an act of economic desperation, if you will. 
But well, wait a minute. So you're talking about like people, like a caravan, thousands of people crossing the、yeah. border between Mexico and U.S. in broad daylight, like out in the open. That's not my image of you know illegal <laughs> immigration. So what what is going on? Is that normal? You know, Elon Musk was out there about a month ago doing a live broadcast on X,、mm-hmm. which is his platform, where he was standing at the border with some local sheriffs and deputies and whatnot, and he was they were they were literally just watching people crossing the border and talking about it. So it's not usually in the thousands where they come in all at once. The caravans usually get to towns next to the United States, and then they employ various Kinds of services from local Mexican individuals, sometimes U.S. citizens as well, to get them smuggled into the United States through various means. So, it, oftentimes, it's very dangerous what they're doing, and some people even can pass away in the desert due to dehydration and other complications because it's a huge trek sometimes to do this. Wow. Okay.、Um, so, after about two years. Uh, of decline、uh, due to the pandemic,、mm. I guess it's going you know, like coming back to normal. Can we say?、Mm. Yeah, I would say that this is a relatively normal phenomenon. So I read in this article from Yahoo.com that the normal,、mm-hmm. like past tactics, would be you know when there's such a march、uh, of crossing the border, the authorities will wait for the marchers to tire out and then offer them a form of temporary legal status. That's used by many to continue their journey northward. Wow! So in a way, they're kind of just like allowed to go through.、Mm-hmm. You know, question about immigration because it seems like they're、uh, like controversial opinions regarding it, right? Where they're not. Yeah, very, very much. Yeah,、so, yes. because you know, from some articles, like this article I found on LATimes.com,、um, is an article from、mm-hmm. July、mm-hmm. last year、uh, titled "What Immigration Means for U.S. Population and Economic." Growth、mm-hmm. and politics and things like that.、Mm-hmm. So this says that you know the article kind of welcomes more immigrants. It says even as the American economy has slowed, labor shortages still abound in sectors like hospitality, lodging, and social assistance. So,、um, and they mentioned how there are actually hundreds of thousands of refugees, notably from Ukraine,、mm-hmm. you know,、mm-hmm. from the past、mm-hmm. two years, and they filled up openings at you know restaurants, hotels, retail stores, and nursing homes, and others with university、mm-hmm. de- degrees. And the ability to speak、mm-hmm. English, they would find better-paying jobs in like accounting, nursing, and other fields.、Mm-hmm. So the dynamics is a little bit more complicated than just you know immigration,、um, but also we're talking about、mm-hmm. refugees here, especially from Ukraine.、Mm-hmm. So what's the impact of all that, you know, on、um, the U.S. economy? This in this article, it sounds like it's a good thing, and it talks about inside the United States. This is an oft-debated thing. So my whole life growing up in the United States, we constantly heard both sides of this. My family. Were notably not political. They're called apolitical,、mm. right? They don't. They're not interested in politics. But we sat around listening to people tell us their politics. So the two sides are one side's like we should have、mm. legal migration to allow people in through you know New York and through official means through legal means, and that should be the only method by which people come into the United States、mm-hmm. and become U. 
U.S. citizens. And then there's another side to that, which is we should mm-hmm. and, and actually let me flip back and forth a few times. So then the other side will often say, well, there are a lot of people who want to come into the United States. We have a population problem. We have a wage and labor problem. So we need low wage workers. And then if you go back to the first side again, the people who are for legal migration, they often make the argument and I'm not taking sides either side here. They often make the argument that if we didn't have illegal immigration, then wages would rise and regular Americans would be able to take those jobs because they would be paying, you know, a living wage. So it goes back and forth and both sides make very interesting points. But um, that's not I don't really want to take sides in this. This is a very complicated issue and it's got so many mm-hmm. hot points and it, it's very touchy for a lot of people. But I did want to point out about Chinese migration. Right. Because there's there's a discussion in in the media that Chinese migration has ticked up, which is, in fact, not true. And so I wanted to show some statistics from the U.S. government. Now, I have a bunch of statistics here, but I want to start with the ones from the United States government. And by Chinese, by Chinese immigration, you mean people from China moving to the States? Yeah. Okay. There have been some news stories that have shown lines, you know, a couple dozen Chinese people trying to migrate into the United States via Mexico. So I wanted to discuss how this is not the same as other kinds of migration. This is from the Department of Homeland Security. So that is probably like the major intel group. It's the umbrella intel group for all of the other U.S. intel groups. And they have very they have the best facts and figures the United States has to offer. This is from 2012 to 2021. It's called Persons Obtaining Lawful Permanent Residence Status by Region and Country of Birth 2012 to 2021. It has all the countries listed on it. So these are the legal immigrants, lawful, right? Yeah. Okay. We're going to get to two pieces of statistics. When you put them together, they will account for basically all of it. Okay. These are first those who obtaining lawful permanent residence. Mm-hmm. And so in uh, the year 2012, from the people Republic of China, those people obtaining legal re- uh, residence were 81,000 ish, 81,784. Mm-hmm. And it reduces 2013, 71,000, 2012, 76,000. It keeps going down until finally you get to the last couple years, tw- 2021, 49,000. So there's actually a grad, it's not just during the pandemic, but there's a gradual decrease in the I number see. of people mm-hmm. coming from the People's Republic of China to the United States seeking legal immigration. Chart number two, also from the Department of Homeland Security. And this is a representation of people who may originally coming illegally and then getting legal status later. Mm-hmm. Individuals granted asylum mm. in the same years. In 2012, it's 5,000. By 2016, it's 3,000. By 2021, it's less than 1,000. It's 780. Mm. So both of these two different charts from the Department of Homeland Security so show a constant decrease in migration from the People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to point this out because it's really important when the United when people in the US are discussing the on like on Fox News and other outlets that you know Chinese immigration is upticking and people are flooding into the United States that it's patently false mm-hmm. that it is not true that there's actually a decrease mm-hmm. according to US official figures from the People's Republic of China and I think we all know why that is China has become increasingly prosperous there's been an increase in wealth so I have some other statistics I know you, I don't want to bore people too much mm-hmm. this is from uh, Xie et al and it's stem tide and it shows the number of uh, US based scientists of Chinese descent returning to China has 
almost increased by six times from 2010 to 2020. So people who studied math and physical science, life science and engineering, they're all returning to China. This another one, Open Doors Report, number of Chinese international students in U.S. institutions of higher education is actually decreasing since about 2018. And so there's a bunch of statistics like this. Here's the Chinese National Bureau of Statistics. Overseas Chinese students flock home. I think you guys call these turtles or little turtles or something. <laughs> yeah, like right. sea turtles coming back home. This yeah. shows that there is a concurrent flow of Chinese going to abroad, not just the United States, but abroad to study, and <laughs> that the vast majority of them return back to mm -hmm. China. So these little turtles right. are coming back to China. So there's several things to say here. There are a lot of fam very famous Nobel laureates now coming back from the United States and moving to China. That's one. Scientists who are studying STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics are coming back to China. Mm -hmm. And there's a decrease in total immigration flows into the United States. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I see these news articles on television saying there's a flood of Chinese immigrants going to the United States, I'm thinking, isn't news responsible for looking at the data and figures? You know, I mean, you have some video of a few Chinese people, yeah, trying mm -hmm. to cross the border. Right. But statistically, they're an anomaly now. They are right. not representative of the trend. I think that's why they made it into the news, because they were not commonly seen. Mm. The My understanding of Chinese immigrants into the States, there are at least two main groups. And one type is, you know, who people who go there to study for higher education, which is still popular. The U.S. is still a popular destination mm -hmm. um, for higher education, but not as popular as before. Mm -hmm. And some of them, they would stay afterwards, uh, especially, you right. know, imagine people working in, you know, science and technology. I mean, they all want to flood to Silicon Valley, right? Or well, we got in, one now. Uh, what is it? What is yeah. the Greater Bay Area now? Yeah. So that's <laughs> one group. Uh, and then the other are people from like from my past experience, people mm -hmm. from like Fujian province, like southern part of China. And mm -hmm. they have probably like their uh, friends and families uh, have for generations, you know, have established um, some stronghold in, say, Chinatowns across mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. Right. If you yeah. go to New York and Chinatown, you see a lot of people like like the whole area. They speaks uh, they speak like Cantonese. I don't even I mm -hmm. uh, can't even understand them. And then their relatives and maybe um, the younger generation will come to people from the same village. So that's my understanding of like, you know, two groups of um to larger groups of Chinese who migrate to the United States. But for people like to cross the border from Mexico to go into U.S., like Chinese people, that's like rare. Mm. I, that sounds bizarre to me. You know, I mean, there are other ways to go to the States than going first to South America. This is a common narrative in uh, media now. They've taken the same video footage from a couple of different reporters, and it just keeps being aired over and over and over again. Again, especially by some of the notable uh, China experts that uh, like to say derogatory things, and they keep pushing this narrative over and over again. There, this reminds me of this um, this guy with a TikTok account who, for I think when he was in China, he had wanted to go to the states for like years, mm. dreaming that it was you know heaven 
on earth mm. where, uh, you know, golden opportunities everywhere. And the legend is that people, you know, people who work in these, like who work in uh, helping people migrate to, to, to the U.S. or the countries, they'll, they'll send out the rumors that if you, you know, wash dishes in Chinese restaurants, let's say in Chinatown for three months, uh, you can buy a house in the States. What? Like crazy <laughs> oh things gosh. like that. I'm Seriously. going back. Goodbye, baby. <laughs> I'm going to go wash dishes in Chinatown. <laughs> you know, that's that's how they sell this. Right. Wow. And um, and some people, the people who just don't know the details um, and still believe in the golden American dream and they buy that. And maybe some of them, who knows, uh, would think of, you know, follow these paths of illegal immigration, probably first going to somewhere in South America and then mm. going to the States, maybe. But this is like extremely unusual. And there's this one guy who became very, quote unquote, popular because it was such a bizarre case. Mm. So he went to the States. Uh, somehow like illegally mm. because he wanted to buy a house in three months wow. and then when Me he too. first arrived there he was he would <laughs> wear he was wearing this like american baseball cat in, in uh, with the figure of the um with american flag and he was you know he was all like flashy in american way whatever american symbols he, he could yeah. pile pile on <laughs> yeah and he made this the, the video that went viral was the one he made after he ate donuts i mean i love donuts right they're so good and this guy was like oh my gosh i'm finally in the states i'm eating a donuts this is like the best thing i've ever had things like that so that was like one of the first videos he made in i can get this in wukasong i know <laughs> but then you know for people like the a lot of the middle class who enjoy donuts and pizza whatever they want mm -hmm. on a daily basis they're probably right. not thinking about migrating to other countries come to china we have donuts too <laughs> yeah exactly um and then but the thing is after a few weeks, like um, his tone started to change and you know, things were getting more difficult. He started to find out that, OK, maybe I can't buy a house from washing dishes, <laughs> not in three months and probably not even in three years. Not ever. <laughs> I know. And and then like two, two months or a few months later, he was like sleeping in the park oh, no. because he this ran out of money. <laughs> it's very costly. I know for these yeah. like illegal methods of immigration. And then, you know, he was told that uh, healthcare was free, like completely free what? in the in the US. Wow. I'm and going then, back. This sounds great. I know. See, <laughs> misinformation everywhere, right? And but and then in yeah. one of the videos, he was like hit by uh, a car. Um like he borrowed money. Oh my gosh, this is so I, I know he just got he got even worse. So he was like so down, he ran a money sleeping in the park, and then he borrowed money to buy like um, an old used car to make deliveries, but then he got into an accident. Wow. And it wasn't like terribly serious, but uh, so he thought medi medical service was free. And he went to the hospital and for a, a checkup and some, I don't know, some kind of um, medical help, he received a bill for like over $5,000. And it was like lightning. He was like struck by lightning. He was like, this is not what I was told 
um, like I'm like spiraling down to hell. And so it was, <laughs> I don't know what's happened to him now. Um, but you know, well. he taught a lot of people a lesson that maybe it's not easy as it sounds to migrate into other countries. Like first. Yeah. Well, I completely agree with you. And thank you for telling that amazing story. That's, you know, very interesting. I do want to say that, you know, if you graduate from Tsinghua university with a bachelor's degree and you go to America to go to like, I don't know, a good college, not even great. It doesn't have to be Harvard. Maybe it's just like UCLA mm-hmm. or something. And you get like a, a master's degree or a PhD. They're not happy. And you start working. And you was <laughs> sorry. So and you start working <laughs> in science, engineering, and technology. Your your life is going to be mm-hmm. okay. You're not going to be hit by cars and and washing dishes or well, whatever. if you're careful. Yeah. If you yeah. if it is possible to live a, a reasonably good life in the middle class, if you have a very excellent education and you come from STEM. Yeah. So that is actually a good legal way to go to the United States. But, you know, crossing the border through Mexico and hoping to buy a house, certainly that's not going to happen. Unless maybe maybe you (laughs) start going to college when you get there, right? You find some kind of scholarship or something. But yeah, the regular people who don't speak English fluently and they don't have a really excellent education are going to probably most likely suffer under the United States economic system. Well, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the U.S. If something sounds too good to be true it probably is especially when i love living here (laughs) (laughs) but it took you um a few years right to to settle down and figure things out Mm -hmm. um but you Mm -hmm. did it in a normal way not like you know someone Mm. out on the street telling you hey you want to go to america (laughs) or you know well you have a little business then they get you i don't wash dishes here in beijing and i do have a college education so that does help honestly my college education does help me in china a lot of the opportunities that have come to me have become is there because I'm highly educated. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the bridge. I do want to talk about uh population growth a little bit. Because just like many advanced countries around the world, Japan, China, Germany, England, France, the United States, etc., and this South Korea, immigration is a nice tool for maintaining population growth, right? right because, right. you know, the United States, like all these other advanced countries, if it did not have immigration, the population would be declining slightly. It was like, you know, it would go down by, you know, not very much, actually, but it's very slowly over time. Mm-hmm. So this is an article by AP News. It's by Mike Schneider. It's uh, December 20th, 2023. Immigration fuels uptick in U.S. population growth. So the population of the United States, I think, is about 331 million as of right now. Hmm. So what's happening is the United States is supplementing the losses in its population due to less procreation, right? By bringing more people in from outside. So, Hmm. you know, I think that's, I think it's a good thing for the United States to continue its policy of accepting immigrants and uh, helping them become part of the American lifestyle or dream or whatever. So I'm not like anti-immigration in any way whatsoever. Um, Speaking of like aging population, because you mentioned like some of the world's largest economies, uh, economies, including Germany, Japan and South Korea. They're also trying Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. attract more immigrant workers because their population are, you know, yes and no. No. In what way? I mean, yes, you're right. But this is actually controversial in Japan. Mm. There are anti-immigration protests going on on a daily basis basis lately. But you know how like a lot of uh, senior citizens in their 70s are still walk like are still working mm-hmm. on the street or like driving yeah. cabs. When mm-hmm. we I, when I went there 
few years ago, like I met a lot of uh, people with silver, you know, gray, the gray haired uh, portion of the population is still working like full time. Mm. And uh, and also mm. South Korea, I think their birth rate is somewhere has gone down to somewhere around like 0.6, meaning like a person is only giving birth to on average like 1.6 people. So it goes on like that. It will like literally be the first nation to disappear like by itself because they're not reproducing enough. I'm actually for people having whole babies, not just 0.6 of a baby. That's very irresponsible. Yeah, it's just like averages. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? That's why they need like younger workers to go in as you know, immigrant workers. You know the um, you know the new Tesla robot, yeah. right? And China Huawei has one too. It, it, it's conceived by a lot of futurists, technologists, right? That very soon, maybe within a few years, we'll have robots to take care of us when we're old. So I'm very like optimistic about technology. Yeah, it's, it's a little creepy, though. Like, what if like the, the program goes bizarre some way and it'll strangle me in the middle of the night? <laughs> well, let me let me put it another way, baby. Would you rather have a human being who has senses and, and, and is aware of being embarrassed wipe your poopy butt when you're old? Or would you rather have a robot which doesn't care and isn't aware that it is an inconvenience to do that for you? I would much rather, I would feel much safer and like less embarrassed if a robot was doing but that then, for me rather than a human but being. But then you have to wash the robot, right? Like, I don't think it'll do as... Well, no, the robot can wash itself. It's It'll put on gloves oh. and take the gloves off and throw them away, whatever. Okay. Yeah, the robot can do all the cleaning, dishes, you know, mop the floor, take care of me, pick me up and put me in front of the, like, you know, in the wheelchair. <laughs> Push me out the door. <laughs> Get your coat. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Okay. Right. Well, it yeah. doesn't sound too it's bad. It's the perfect maid. No, I will be sitting there like, turn the page now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. what I need the robot yeah, for. Turn like the you. page for me. But, you know, I don't even want to imagine those um, horrible days when, when I'm old. Hopefully I won't, you know, it won't be like that. Um, the robots can't come soon enough for me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Go get my bubble tea. Make sure there are only 25 ex bubbles of exactly the same size in every cup. So right. anyhow, so immigration. Run to, run to the store. Get me more <laughs> Vita Choco soy milk. I, I wanted to actually talk about me. Okay. I want to talk about me a little bit. You are um, a immigrant. Because I'm in the process. Wow. I never thought of yes, you. Yes, I am. I never I thought of immigrant. you that way, That's Jason. Right. Just so you know. Well, everyone calls uh, people who live in China expats, but actually that's not entirely accurate. Expats usually refers to people who are temporarily living abroad. I'm not, I don't hate the United States. I love the United States. I love my brothers and sisters in America, but I love China and I want to live here. And I've decided, you know, years mm -hmm. ago that I was going to stay here. So, you know, I'm taking the legal steps to make that a reality. Mm. One thing that I did about two years ago was get a mm -hmm. green card. So I wanted to just briefly talk about what, how to do that and that the process is becoming easier. Yeah. And the green card... Because the way you said it, you make it sound like really easy. Like you just go to some local uh, police station and, uh, hey, I'm here to get my green card. <laughs> it's, it's probably not as easy as that, right? I would say that, you know, I've looked at the paperwork for becoming a U.S. citizen. It's about the same level mm -hmm. of difficulty to get a U.S. green card as it is to get a Chinese green card. So it takes the same amount of okay. uh, paperwork and, and challenge. It's paperwork. very challenging. But... Um, I have a green card. These won't exist soon. The government of China, the People's Republic of China, has decided to do away with green cards. And they're going to have a different kind of migration card called a five-star card, which was formally rolled out December 
1st, 2023. Now for us that already had green cards, we just need to go and apply. And it is that easy. You go apply, you pay a small fee, you say, I'm still me and show them your home country's passport and they will, and your green card, and they will reissue this five-star card. I've gone through this process. My five-star card is coming probably in about a month or two months. That's a, that's a very flattering name. You have a five-star card, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Because the China has the five stars on five the star flag card. on the back of the right. card it ha- mm-hmm. will have five stars so okay i want to talk about mm. because the green card is outgoing and the green five star card is incoming i want to talk about wh- how to get a five star card and actually in some cities baby it's really not mm. that hard so okay. in shanghai specific because i'm in all these wechat groups in these insider groups that are full of people with green cards that are going through the process mm-hmm. of getting five star cards and there's hundreds of us and i'm in several of these groups mm. and all we do all day in these groups is talk about it so yeah really like oh <laughs> uh-huh. can you use it here can you use it there what happens if you go to there who do you complain to if this hotel won't take it all that stuff so the mm-hmm. new five-star card in shanghai specifically is if you have lived in shanghai for five years and paid taxes for five years and you have no zero criminal offenses in your home country and zero criminal offenses here in china that's important you can apl- mm-hmm. you can apply for and get a five-star card. So that's the mm. easiest city to get it in. And different cities have different rules and regulations. We're not really sure why, but you know, mm-hmm. we're not governors. Right. Most of us are just, yeah, business people and influencers and stuff. Okay. But they shouldn't be but, too different, right? Well, mm. in some case, in most cities, in some cases, you need to be, you need to meet certain qualifications. And oftentimes, one of the ways people do that is married to a Chinese national mm-hmm. for five years, pay taxes for five years, and all the other stuff, criminal junk too. Mm. That is one way to do it. And that doesn't even require a bachelor's degree, Mm -hmm. by the way. Now, there's another way to do it. You're already married. Uh Uh-oh. Well, you can't just marry a Chinese person now. (laughs) So there's another way to do it. There's a, if you don't live in Shanghai, you live in one of these other cities, you can have a PhD. Huh. And yeah, if you yeah, have a PhD and you pay taxes for five years and you have no criminal record, et cetera, you can get a five-star card. Another way to do it is to invest. And in it used to be, I'm not sure the amount now, it used to be half a million USD oh, into dear. a growing financial sector of China's choice, which lists the choices on the website. Mm-hmm. So if you've invested half a million dollars in China, like in factories or something, mm. then you can get this five-star so this is for business people. They're trying to make it easier for professional like professors and, and scientists to stay in China. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make it easier for professional business persons who own businesses in China to stay in China. And they're trying to make it easier for people with links to China, like a spouse, mm. to stay in China, etc. Et right. So the one in Shanghai is a little bit special. But uh, increasingly, over time, it's being made easier and easier mm. and easier. The regulations are becoming more lax over time for professional foreigners to come to China and get this five-star card. I want to talk about Mm -hmm. what it means to have a five-star card. Sure. Because essentially you don't, you don't need to become Chinese. If you have a, my green card, which I'm holding actually, Mm -hmm. doesn't do many things because it doesn't have the same amount of letters and numbers as your card. But once you have the Chinese green card, you can work in China, right? So you don't have to get visas again. Yeah, that's true. But we don't need to talk about the green card. But having the fives, because it doesn't, it's, it doesn't exist, basically. You can't apply for it anymore. Okay. But the five-star card, you're right. It is your visa. Mm. So when I were to, if I were to theoretically come into China from an outside country, at the airport, 
I would pre- present two things, my passport mm-hmm. along with my five-star card, mm-hmm. because my passport would be who I am mm-hmm. and my five-star card would be my visa, which right. lasts my whole life, mm-hmm. right? Not just one a year, year at a time. Or three months. Or three, three yeah. months at a time, yeah. right. If you want to go to the bank right now and you're from, it doesn't matter, Argentina, right? You bring your passport mm-hmm. and that's how you would start a bank account. But now people with these five-star cards, they have the same amount of letters and numbers as local Nash Chinese national folks. So you can go to the bank with just mm. your five-star card and establish a bank account just the same way as a Chinese national would. Or you can go to a hotel and check in the same mm. way a Chinese national would. Or you can buy property, you know, an apartment the same way a Chinese... Because the new five-star card essentially fills a nebulous place between a green card mm-hmm. and a citizenship. So you don't have to I become see. Chinese if you're from France. Mm-hmm. You can just live like you're Chinese while you're in China because you've been here 10 or 15 or 20 years or whatever, but you still a French citizen. So it's kind of a, it's a new kind of way to live in China that didn't exist before. But can you like work? Can you get, because I think, oh, yeah. imagine if you like are coming from the States, you're American coming into China and you want to work in China, then you need to get a work visa, yeah. right? Um, yeah, work, yes, a work permit. Work permit. But if you have a five-star card? The five-star card is all of those things. Okay. So, just, and also here's another thing. Most people who have a work visa, right? Mm. Or I'm sorry, work permit and a visa. If they change jobs in China because they've only been here a year, whatever, you know, normal people who are working in China, X, Pats, not migrants. Mm. They would have to change their work permit and change their visa for their new job. Right. Whereas a person with a five star card could be like, "My contract is over. Goodbye." The next day, walk into another business and start working. Oh. No, no problem. Okay. Just so, like a Chinese national would. So the business wouldn't have to, uh, like, help with the visa this time. The new right. job that you found. So it's just, it's just easier. In okay. fact, my HR at my current company, mm. they were confused and didn't believe me when. I said these things to them. They were like, <laughs> it's no, new. we're going to apply for your, mm. yeah, we're going to give you this work. We're applying for a work, work visa. Mm-hmm. And then they went to apply. I filled out the paperwork with them. They applied for a visa. And then the government was like, what are you doing? You, you're wasting our time. You well, don't need this. So it was like, okay, don't do that anymore. Well, their uh, information should be updated. Maybe no one has told them. Well, it's so new, I think right? There are only a few thousand of us in all of China who currently have a five-star card or a green card. So Wow, first generation right, five-star card holders. Yeah, you can't expect that normal people would know about it, right? Normal people have normal things to do. So they don't know, oh, I have this special card. You don't need to do that. That doesn't make sense to people, right? They're like, no, you're a foreigner. We need this, but that's not true. You know, like decades or even hundreds of years down the road, we see Jason's five-star card in a museum being exhibited <laughs> as the first generation five-star card and all like still shiny and full of possibility. <laughs> so yeah, well, thank you for sharing that information because um, for people who are thinking about you know, uh, coming to China to check things out. And Mm. for people who've been here for maybe a few years and worried about renewing visas and stuff, there are opportunities. I think China is trying to make it easier for people, um, you know, from other countries to to come in. And I think recently, didn't we have have like new policies regarding uh, visa free entries? 
from where? From France or a couple other European countries? There were several different policies that were rolled out, about five. One of them was from six countries, there's temporarily no visa requirements for one full year. And this led to an uptick of several thousand additional oh. tourists who came here visa-free from France and several other countries. There was another separate policy nice. rolled out for Malaysia. I can't remember. It's either Thailand or Malaysia. Thailand. Thailand. Yeah, Thailand. So Or maybe both. This starts in March, so it hasn't actually kicked off yet, permanently from March forward, forever, mm. theoretically. Chinese people do not need a visa to go to Thailand, and Thai folks don't need a visa to come to China. Mm. Another policy that was rolled out for U.S. Americans, I was asked by Canadians if this applies to them. It does not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but for U.S. Americans, you no longer need, if you are a U.S. citizen, a letter of invitation to come for work, and you no longer need your itinerary or to pre-book hotels and flights to come mm. to China. You can apply for your visa first and then book your flights and hotels much later. Mm. Uh, it is it's much easier. There's another couple of programs that rolled out, but China is just basically making it much easier to come and work in China and mm. to come be a tourist in China. For many, many, many countries, this is starting to become way easier to just show up in China and have a good time, take pictures, buy some souvenirs. And yeah, I can imagine more of this happening in the coming years mm. as the Belt and Road Initiative mm. you know, moves into uh, more countries, more destinations, and um, especially with like Southeastern Asian countries, like ASEAN countries. Hmm. I can imagine. Oh, yeah, because they have the high speed rail the high speed going rail, through there now, like you it can, connects into China. Right. Yeah. Literally hop on a train and, you know, after a few hours, you will be in another country yeah. and you don't even need to get a visa. And imagine how easy it is going to be yeah. right, for both uh, for travelers both ways. Hmm. And um, also for, you know, for Chinese consumers, we're going to have a lot more varieties of fruit and other items from um, tropical countries into China. And also, uh, I can see, I don't know when this is going to happen, like Central Asian countries, mm. right? All mm -hmm. across mm -hmm. Eurasia. And because <clears throat> so far, these have not become popular destinations mm -hmm. uh, for the Chinese people. Mm. But I can see that happening in the future. Like Chinese people are very curious. They want to see the outside world. Um, we've been watching videos of people like I've been following uh, bloggers who mm -hmm. are still traveling in Syria. Wow. You know, young people, they just get their backpack and start traveling. Mm. Um, even though, you know, we hear news of um, uh, military conflicts, mm -hmm. but there are other areas in the country that's still fit for traveling. Hmm. And Chinese people are so welcomed locally. Like people are so friendly to Chinese visitors. It's quite amazing. Wow. So, you know, down in the future, when things quiet down, when we have more peace, right, less war, less conflicts, I can see people, um, you know, moving uh, across the, the whole continent mm -hmm. much more flu fluently mm -hmm. right with less restraints and uh less paperwork to do and hopefully uh, you know the rmb currency will be accepted in more places so it's easier to travel mm -hmm. but that's for you know that's for the future but hopefully not too far away into the future well what i've heard from a lot of friends of mine who've been traveling to southeast asia is that uh, WeChat Pay is increasingly accepted by more and more venues outside of China, mm. which makes my, mm -hmm. you know, I won't have to bring wads of cash and tr and like transform them into some other currency. I can just show up and use WeChat Pay. Was, I am 100% down for that. Yeah, I remember uh, this was pre like pre pandemic 
um, in 2019. So we went to, uh, we went travel in New Zealand and I saw in multiple shops the sign for for Alipay. So the same as we will pay it here. It was really easy. Yeah, it wasn't everywhere, but it was like popular enough. You could could probably get by uh, just with your cell phone. So yeah, I can totally see that happening. Another thing I found is if I take my um, Chinese bank card to other countries, like including Japan, if I put my Chinese bank card into a a Japanese bank ATM machine, it'll give me English options, for, fortunately. Hmm. And then it I can actually withdraw money in Japanese currency mm-hmm. from my Chinese account. It does the, the transact, the trans, what is it called? Like the currency the, conversion? The, that's right. Yeah. Thank you. It does the conversion right there on the screen and shows you, do you want to do this? And you're like, yeah. And then it just but spits out, you know, local currencies. Yeah. I, I don't think the rate is that favorable. It's actually, for my personal experience, uh, the last time I went to Japan, it was actually okay to just do it in the airport. Like before I mm. I went on the plane here in China, it turned out the rate was okay. Mm. But when I did it in the bank, like locally or in the supermarket, um, you know, they have a little vending machine sort of bank from the bank. You can take out cash. It wasn't that great. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, the mm. details might change in the future. I'm just saying that hopefully things will uh, be easier. And we do see a, a resumption of the passion for traveling after following like the end of uh, the pandemic restrictions here in here in China. So this is actually the first year, right? First year when mm. things are back to normal and um, domestic mm. travel has certainly, you know, picked up a lot and hopefully um, international travel will resume again. We will see the trend uh, when it comes to spring festival, when people have a few days off. Yeah, yeah, the trains. The trains will be a big tell. They Oh, every year there's a huge... One of the economic indicators for China is how many people traveled for Spring Festival. And so that's coming right. up soon. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Can I talk about the United States again? Yes, I want to switch back to the U.S. This is an article from the Texas Tribune.org, uh, December 18th. And this is very interesting development in the United States. And I want to talk about why. The governor of Texas, Governor Greg Abbott, signed a bill making illegal immigration a state crime. Now, that may seem very confusing to a lot of people, even Americans, actually. There's because we have federal law, then you have local law. So you have state laws, then you have county laws, then you have city laws, then local ordinances. So each layer has its own laws. And that's, I think, partially true in China, too. Different cities have their own regulations. So if you, for example, if you wanted to go film a TV commercial, you'd need to get permission from like the film, you know, people, then the city, then the local Mm. administration as well. So it's similar. Mm -hmm. So, but this is really controversial in the United States because different states are beginning to make different laws pertaining to things that the federal government typically calls their territory of legal legal ease. So when when I Texas see, says see. we're going to make a law making immigration illegal, whether you like it or not, that creates... Making illegal immigration, mm-hmm. right? Making illegal or immigration illegal? Well, they're making illegal immigration illegal in the state 
The federal government already has laws pertaining to what we call illegal immigration. This is a law that is a, that is directed by the federal government. All of the United States, including its territories, are affected by the mm. law that is passed by the U.S. Congress and president and, and mm. then regulated by the Supreme Court. But what Texas has done, and this is why it's complicated, they have made federally illegal immigration illegal at the state level so they can have their own policies to direct what the consequence for those immigrants, which means that okay. Texas can have more strict regulations than the federal government over mm-hmm. immigrants crossing over the border illegally. I see. Because it's because it's also more of an issue for Texas, right? So close to... Exactly. So Texas, it looks like the current uh, administration of Texas is fervently anti-illegal immigration. There's a consequence there in they're increasing the intensity of federal laws by using state law. Now, what's interesting about this is this has already been challenged and it will have to be brought before the U.S. Supreme Court to determine whether or not states can do this. But this represents a larger trend in U.S., let's say, internal political struggle because different states are beginning to pass different laws that usually are covered by federal law. Mm. And so increasingly, states are trying to wrestle rights for um, managing affairs in their own state from the federal government. And that is what essentially Greg Abbott is trying to do here. So it's issue not just about immigration, but also uh, political, like domestic political conflict in the U.S., and people's different opinion when it comes to immigration. Well, it really, it really upsets a lot of people. I'm not saying which side I'm on. I'm not, you know, but it upsets a lot of people here mm-hmm. because they usually this is a, a federal debate. So when a state changes the mm. law to in this way, it changes the nature of the debate because people in Texas who are for more lax immigration cannot appeal at the federal level for um, in the debate. They have to appeal at the state and federal. I see. But I wanted to talk about this in the context of another article mm. published on the same day, December 18th, in the Global Times. And this is the name of the article, Growing, quote, Chinese Exclusion, end quote, Sentiment Risks Turning U.S. into an extremist country. Mm. And so the Global Times makes the argument that there is a sentiment against Chinese immigrants specifically that is making it more challenging for legal Chinese coming into the United States, like STEM graduates, like college students, like like scientists and other professionals who are coming to the United States. But because there is a a certain anti-Chinese sentiment in specifically Florida, Texas, and, you know, some other states, but also at the federal level. And these discussions we talked about at the beginning of the show, where the general population is being made to think that there is increase in Chinese immigration, it's actually making it more challenging to be Asian in the United States, which goes back to our discussions that we've had in the past about anti-Asian hate crimes and all these things. And, you know, one of the things that gets debated is people are concerned that Chinese nationals are, quote, buying up all the land. And so I wanted to point out that according to uh, U.S. farmers, uh, they have their own uh, set of uh, data instruments. Chinese nationals are only 19th 
most likely to buy land in the United States. And most of the people buying land in the United States are Canadian and Italian and so forth. So it's actually not true. There's the media talking point that Chinese folks are buying up all the farmland or whatever is actually patently not true. You know, the sentiment um, also goes to explain why more Chinese students are opting for universities like higher education in other countries other than the U.S. Because in the past, um, it was almost beyond debate. You know, if, you, if like someone's uh, family's kid graduated from from college and wants to go for like a master's degree or PhD degree, the first option would be look at higher universities in in the States. You know, that was like probably over 80 percent of people's choices. Mm-hmm. But in the in recent years, it's not just because of the pandemic, but other problems exposed mm-hmm. about, you know, especially about safety in the U.S. Right. We hear so many cases of gun violence. It's just um, incredible for the Chinese population because we're just so not used to that. Like there's it just does not happen. Right. And it's mm. very shocking. And also the sentiment mm. uh, that you described. Um, people are very sensitive to that. Like you wouldn't want to go to a place where you know you're not welcomed. And I'm not saying that that's the case all over America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. think so. I don't think so. But in certain mm-hmm. places, uh, maybe certain, I don't know, TV channels or, uh, you know, outlet, media outlet tend to paint it like that. And it makes people think that, you know, somehow uh, we should not welcome immigrants or students from China. And it hurts these universities too. Um, mm. You know, U.S. education is very, mm. very expensive. Um, and Chinese, the amount of uh, tuition mm. that Chinese students can contribute to all these American universities is a huge sum. And it's going to affect mm. the profitability of these universities. Yeah. And besides, it has prompted uh, people to start looking for other choices. For example, in this article from Statista.com mm-hmm. uh, from November last year, says leading destinations for Chinese students studying abroad. The stats are from like mm-hmm. 2015 mm-hmm. to 2022. And so in from January to February of 2022, the UK was actually the most attractive destination for Chinese students wishing to study abroad. And back in 2015, North America and Australia were generally mm. more attractive to Chinese students than, you know, Europe or Asia. Um, and also there's this rising demand for international education with the rising size of the Chinese expanding Chinese middle class. A lot of people after their uh, college degree, they want to get higher education mm-hmm. and they want to, you know, experience what is it like to live abroad. Well, let me add to what you've said, because according to uh, SCMP, there's an article that came out, why more Chinese students are looking to Europe and not the US or UK for higher education. Now, you mentioned people up until 2022 were migrated, were primarily looking more to the UK and less to the United States. But certainly the trend away from the United States is more and more relevant. And I, honestly, I have to say this is great because you go to places like Finland for an education. Guess what? College is free. Why go to the United States and pay? It's four times more than a local resident in the United States to attend like a university like Harvard when you can go to Finland and have a free education. Yeah. Who cares about Harvard? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't say like no to Harvard, but I would also like free two million dollars in debt, a free 
two million dollars mm. in debt. You know, it's like kind what of, are you studying? Matters, two million dollars you know? in debt, like dentistry plus like a medical <laughs> degree, like a separate medical degree. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm exaggerating yeah. there. Hyperbole. Well, it's but, not yeah, just yeah, yeah. Uh, Finland. Um, like for example, Germany. Ashley looked into this. Mm -hmm. So if anyone is interested in getting an education somewhere in Europe and don't want to pay for it, <laughs> um, Germany <laughs> might be your choice because tuition, there are no tuition fees at public universities. Wow. So if you go into like a private university, there will be some mm. tuition fee, but let me check it out. It's not as crazy. So tuition fees in, let's mm -hmm. see, in private universities, average averages to will be averages uh, 3,000 to 5,000 euro per, per semester. That doesn't sound too bad, right? That's for private universities. Public ones are free. Yeah, that and sounds then, okay. But for all universities, you do pay kind of a contribution fee. So that takes off like administration and mm. things like that. And But that's only 200 to 500 euro per semester. So really not, mm -hmm. you know, anything to yeah, yeah, worry about. Much at all. And, um, and also almost all universities in Germany offer student housing. Ooh. It's not it's not free, but it's like highly discounted wow. in comparison to the average cost of living. For example, um, student accommodation can range from 250 to 350 euro wow. euros on average. Well, depending on the location, right? You have to share with other um, people. Is it still like one of those two bed situations where you're like stuck with someone? Well, it depends. Met? That's why there's <clears> 250. I'm two, going home. Hi, Hans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then if you live like out of the university, it might be a little more expensive, like mm. depending on where, um, you know, where exactly you live. Mm -hmm. And also public transportation and travel free because they have the semester tickets. Oh, right. Yeah. Most, most places you can go to museums and parks in most countries for free if you have like a university ID. Yeah. And uh, of course, like, it depends on the study load, right? If you're like up mm -hmm. to your neck and homework, you probably don't spend a lot of time on public transportation going to museums. But still, it's, mm. it's a nice bonus. Um, and that's why uh, you pay for the semester contribution. The I think the two mm. to three hundred dollar, uh, two to three hundred euro per semester thing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, and for living expenses, probably more expensive um, in recent few years mm -hmm. because of the situation in Europe in general. Mm -hmm. uh, it says here that on average, students can expect to spend about 150 to 200 euro a, a month for grocery items. Mm. So a whole lot cheaper than studying in the U.S. Yeah. I don't know, like American universities, private ones especially. Are you listening to this? Like mm. maybe you should think about your tuition a little bit, like some adjustments here because it's just getting way too expensive <clears throat> and you might lose your appeal. Yeah. For I think if you've schools. got a full scholarship to a U.S. university of that is prestigious, then yeah, sure. But if you're just going to pay, I think you're right, baby. I think even as an American, I think a lot of Americans are thinking about this too, getting their education abroad yeah. in China and in Germany and in all these other countries because the debt load is a lot lower than it would be if they studied at home. This is for U.S. citizens and foreign students like from China, for example, have to pay three to six times as much as local residents in the United States. So for the U.S. to be so anti-immigration 
it's very negatively impacting the ability of universities to pay their bills and to fill slots, which I have to say, as an American, we're not too proud of our K through 12 education is not producing enough STEM majors to fill the positions that we have open in universities. And we do require immigrants to fill those places. And also one thing I uh, forgot to mention is health insurance, right? Let's say if you choose to study mm. in Germany and there are discounted fees mm. for all students. And so Germany's public health care system is pretty well known um, around the globe. And as a student, you will have access to this health care as it is required a requirement mm. in Germany. Same as in the U.S. I think if you study in the U.S., you are required to get like a health insurance, um, which can mm -hmm. be pretty pricey, but OK, like the amount is OK for students. Um, and the health insurance contribution for students is fixed by law and it's about 100 to 120 euros per month. So that's okay, mm. right? And if you're interested in private insurance, yeah. they can also be available for students. So, I mean, language is a is a issue and they're actually... Um, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say the language because I had this professor at Berkeley. She was a... Uh, Indian lady who, of German nationality who taught at UC Berkeley, but she used the same English text to Hindi to teach Hindi huh. at Berkeley as she did in Germany. And so I asked her about this and she said that most of the classes in Germany are taught in ah, English. Well, that's a big secret. <laughs> that helps. And also, I think <laughs> I read in, in some numbers somewhere that uh, like more people in China are studying um, like Germany, uh, are studying German, uh, mm. maybe for mm. the uh, possibility of going there to, to study, which I mean, think about it, right? Spending um, $60,000 at least or $70,000 plus like accommodation all that per year uh, to study in the U.S., um, worrying about your personal safety and how people would treat you. Or you have the choice of uh, going somewhere, you know, in Europe, also advanced countries with free education, right, affordable health care and hopefully a more friendly atmosphere. Right. I think that sounds like an easy choice. It's just like once people are open to, to new options, things will start to show up. I mean, that's a really good point. That's all the time we have. If you want to add to this conversation, you have questions or you even want to tell us we're wrong about something, please email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. Thank you for your time, listeners. Thank you for your time, baby. Well, thank you, Jason. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye bye. Yeah.